Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, September 13th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, eight pregnant women have died of COVID-19 in the state during the Delta variant surge. Then a farming operation in the Delta faces a racial discrimination lawsuit. Plus, pet adoptions are on the decline. And the Diocese of Jackson Bishop talks vaccines. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Department of Health reported 1,892 new cases of COVID-19 Friday. That's less than half the daily case count Mississippi weathered at the peak of the August spike. Dr. Thomas Dobbs is the state health officer. You know, we are seeing a decline in the number of cases, but we're still seeing almost 2,000 cases a day. And that's still a lot of sick folks. And we're still clocking a lot of deaths. So we're not out of this. And we're going to see, I mean, the COVID's not over. We don't have near enough immune people in our population, either through natural infection or immunization. So we've got a long way to get through COVID. Eight pregnant women in the state are believed to have recently died of COVID-19, as well as one infant. Dr. Michelle Owens is the maternal fetal division chief at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. These women are coming in right around the time that their babies are just at the cusp of being able to survive outside the womb alone. So these are babies that end up in our NICU. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, there are babies that are surviving in the NICU and will not know their mothers because we are losing these moms because of the aggressive nature of this disease. And one of the things that I think is really important is that we are seeing the majority of these cases in those women who are unvaccinated. And one of the difficult things that we've encountered as we're watching these increasing number of cases is that we're also seeing people who are very reluctant or who have been given either inadequate information, poor information, Mm -hmm. or who have been conflicted about the safety and efficacy of the vaccine and also whether or not the vaccine is going to be harmful to their baby, if it's going to influence or impact future fertility. I mean, there are a variety of different reasons. And we've even had some women who have made the commitment to be vaccinated who've been turned away when they've gone to be vaccinated. And pregnancy was given to them as the reason why they were turned away. As of now, a little under 40 percent of Mississippi's total population is fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Coming up, a racial discrimination lawsuit against a farm in the Delta. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Two major Southern nonprofit law groups have brought a lawsuit against a commercial farm in the Mississippi Delta. Desiree Fraser spoke with Robert McDuff, who's an attorney at the Mississippi Center for Justice. The Mississippi Center for Justice and Southern Migrant Legal Services filed a lawsuit on behalf of six black farm workers 
against Pitts Farms Partnership, which is a large agricultural operation in Sunflower County in the Mississippi Delta. Our lawsuit against Pitts Farm is based on allegations of racial discrimination and discrimination against American workers, specifically that this farm paid white workers imported from South Africa more than they paid the black workers from Sunflower County, that they eventually laid off most of the local black workers in favor of the white South Africans, and that they lied to the federal government in order to obtain visas for the South Africans. Have you been able to ascertain through the workers if there were any issues that led to this? At one time, this operation employed a mostly black workforce, but during roughly the last six or seven years, they started importing white South Africans and and paid them more than the local black workforce. And they steadily laid off people uh, so that they have a very, very small black workforce now. And and the, the you know farm is worked mostly by white South Africans. Now they didn't import black South African workers. They didn't import workers from Mexico or Central America. They specifically have recruited white South Africans who are paid more than the local black workers and who have over time taken the jobs of most of the local black workers. Would it be correct to assume that this is a white-owned company? It is a white-owned company, yes. You know, it, it is perfectly lawful to obtain visas for foreign workers when they are needed. As long as you pay the local workers you do have, the same rate you pay the foreign workers. But that's not what happened here. Uh, And we think this is a problem not only with this particular farming operation, but we think it's part of a larger problem in the Mississippi Delta and in other agricultural areas around the country. What is the circumstances of some of these black workers? Have they been able to get other jobs? Has this been their only form of employment? What can you share? All of the six farm workers, except one, have been laid off during roughly the last year or two. And so, you know, they they live in an area with high unemployment in the Mississippi Delta. And so it's very difficult to obtain jobs. And it's just it's just unfortunate that, you know, we have a situation where a local a local business operation is specifically recruiting white South Africans to displace local workers in an area that that has so much unemployment. Any idea how long it will take to move this case through the system, the court system? I don't know. You know, uh, employment cases like this generally take a year or two. Uh, We're hoping it will move fairly quickly, but we'll just have to see how things go. And potentially, do they stand to be financially compensated if this case works out in their behalf? We are seeking on their behalf to recover the the wages that they were not paid, that they should have been paid, specifically to recover the same rate that the white South Africans were paid for these black Mississippi farm workers. And we are also seeking punitive damages on their behalf. So, so they will uh, hopefully obtain the money they should have been paid and hopefully obtain some additional damages because of the discrimination they suffered. 
Can you share with us the contrast in the wages? Generally, the black workers were paid the federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour, while the white South Africans were paid anywhere from 2 to $4 more per hour. It is, a, it is a requirement of what's known as the H-2A visa program, by which agricultural employers can bring in foreign workers, that they pay a rate higher than the minimum wage, and it's usually two to four dollars higher than the minimum wage for the farm, for the foreign workers. The law also requires that local workers be paid the same amount as the foreign workers that are brought in through these H-2A visas. But unfortunately, this particular employer kept the wages for the for the black Mississippi farm workers at the lower level and did not pay them what they were required to pay the white South Africans. And that's all a violation of federal law. All right. Well, Attorney Robert McDuff, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Coming up, animal shelters throughout the South are packed. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Last year, around this time, shelters were running out of animals as people snapped up furry companions as they sheltered in place. But now, the opposite is happening. Shelters in Louisiana, Alabama, and Mississippi are overwhelmed by the number of animals they have. Eva Tesfai of the Gulf States Newsroom has the story. That's Allie Dennis. She's a senior at the University of Alabama, and she came to adopt a puppy from Metro Animal Shelter in Tuscaloosa right before her final school year starts. And that's Copper, the puppy she's meeting. She gave him his name. He's a very playful three-month-old German Shepherd lab mix. You do like to play, huh? You do like to play. For Metro Animal Shelter, Allie adopting Copper would be a huge help. Thomas Somm, the office and programs manager at the shelter, says they're literally overflowing with animals. Just the other day, the entire garage area was full of crates all the way to our garage door, which is all overflow, so it's, it's been rough. The summer months are the season for puppy and kitten births, and they have tons of dogs and cats and even a couple of hamsters. Shelters in the Gulf South tend to have a lot of animals in general, This is partly because of the lack of access to spaying and neutering, especially in rural areas. High poverty levels also mean people can't afford to take care of pets, or they live in housing that does not allow any. That's why shelters in these states usually transport a lot of animals to other states with fewer animals. But during the pandemic, there's less transportation happening. Metro Animal Shelters said their next transport will only include about a third of the animals they usually send. Transports are a big lifeline for us, and when that slows down, it, it hurts. It really does hurt. Another problem is staffing shortages because of COVID, says McKenna Yarbrough from the national group Best Friends Animal Society. We're hearing stories of some shelters having to shut down because their entire staff has been exposed. In Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Southern Pines Animal Shelter stopped taking in animals at one point due to staffing shortages. Companion Animal Alliance in Baton Rouge is also stressed with the massive number of animals coming in. Emily Jackson is the shelter's communications director. We have 416 cats 
We have three chickens, two horses. We've got plenty of rabbits. And that was before Hurricane Ida. Now they're preparing for an influx of animals from other shelters affected in the area and from animal control once they start picking up strays again. The shelter is hoping to encourage adoption of all these pets by offering $15 adoption fees now through September 19th. They completely waived adoption fees back in July. That campaign was kind of successful. We adopted over 140 animals in just five days. But for reference, within those same exact five days, we took in 127. To alleviate the problem, the shelter even does weekend fostering, a program where people can foster animals just for a couple of days to get them out of the shelter. Back at Metro Animal Shelter in Tuscaloosa, another college student named Allie, Allie Leerink, also has her eye on a puppy. She asks if she can adopt one and keep it at the shelter for a few days. The adoption counselor, Megan Stavros, says no. I didn't think so. But <laughs> we need the cages. I mean, we're, we're, you guys don't go in the garage area, but we have, like, dogs literally in kennels right now because we don't have enough space. So, like, once they're adopted, we want them out if we can. Shelters like this one are doing their best to get those animals out of kennels into homes. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Eva Tesfai. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between WBHM in Birmingham, WWNO in New Orleans, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Coming up, the Pope wants you to get vaccinated. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's vaccination rate remains low, third lowest in the nation at latest count. Experts and public health officials say it's critical for trusted community leaders, especially religious leaders, to facilitate truth-based conversations about vaccines. That holds true for the country and the world as a whole. It's extra relevant here in the most religious state in America. Recently, Pope Francis rolled out a direct campaign imploring the global community of Catholics to get the shot. Joseph Kopaz is Bishop of the Catholic Diocese of Jackson. He made a, a strong appeal with six other cardinals, and the cardinals were from North America, the United States and Canada, Central America, and South America. So two, two, and two. And together, through the Ad Council, they they made the uh, statement that we have to overcome any bias against taking the vaccine. We need to listen to the experts who are just about unanimous in this whole field about how important the vaccine is. So he he is saying, obviously, as a religious leader, he's making the strong statement because there are those from a religious point of view are saying we have a right not to do this or... We don't believe in it, and he is basically saying the opposite. And it's more than just a choice to prevent illness, according to the Pope's message. It is a choice to protect other people. By getting a vaccine, you're making the moral choice because you're protecting others. Is that right? That's correct, because in our Catholic world, moral, social justice view, the dignity of the person is always in relationship with the common good. So we're never in isolation. Every individual matters, yet 
every individual is a part of others. And so what he's saying then is what we call, you know, the common good. There's a moral obligation to support the common good and care for others and protect others. So absolutely, he's he's not in any way fudging that that responsibility on the part of uh, not only Catholics, but teachings can go out to the universe in a sense. It's it's the common good in any country, you know, that may not even have a Catholic in the country, but but it's certainly from within the church that he's he's making this uh, from the you know in Rome there's the uh, phrase to the city and to the world <laughs> and so when the pope speaks in Rome he's speaking obviously to the pilgrims there but it's going out to the world so this they really put together a powerful statement through the ad council so it was really beamed out there it was not just something done in uh, you know, in the Vatican living room to be just part of the church's world. In the United States, the vaccine rate is now at 52%. In Mississippi, it's at 38%. Do you have an idea among Catholics how many have been vaccinated? How has the Pope's message resonated here in the United States, do you think? You know, different areas, it's going to be received differently. You know, we, we have that perception that along certain divided lines, whether it's politically or religiously, some are embracing it, some are not. But I I believe in the in the Catholic world more there in the United States that the message has been what the Pope is saying. And I, I've done a couple of videos on that point, YouTube kinds of things that we send out to our diocesan parishes and all that, encouraging the vaccine. So I I believe that I don't have the facts, you know, we didn't do any surveys, but I think our number would be higher than the average in the state, uh, much higher. I, I really believe that if we took a poll, and you can't ask people directly, obviously, but I bet we're over 50% with our Catholic population being vaccinated. Bishop Copas, as you talk with people in your diocese, people who may be concerned about getting the vaccine, its safety or its efficacy. How do you address their concerns? I think in a, in a global way, you know, people get vaccines. Vaccines have been part of our modern world for a long time. And so, you know, early on, you're kind of walking without having all the facts because they hadn't had time to really do the studies and the efficacy and all that. But they have in recent times, and the studies are showing that the the vaccine is very, very effective. And most of the people who are getting sick and and unfortunately critically ill and then some dying, the vast majority are not vaccinated. So from those numbers, but also the studies they've done, and they've done, I read three significant studies over the last week, clearly these vaccines are effective. So uh, we encourage, you know, I I don't beat the drum all the time because it's, uh, I think there's, there's a limit to that. But at the same time, there's no, no doubt that we, I'll tell people I'm, you know, vaccinated. I look forward to the booster (laughs) if that's available as, as it will be, you know, in the, in the near future. So I think, you know, our message is clear that those who are not getting it are, taking exception and they are the exception in our in our catholic communities then they're not but i think the majority 
are. Is it appropriate and is it happening that priests are sending that message to their congregants from the pulpit? Yeah, I, I believe priests are freely talking about it. Now, we haven't had like Vaccine Sunday or anything like that where every priest at this Mass is going to talk about it. But every priest has been vaccinated, and that happened very early because we're so in, engaged with people. You know, we need to be very concerned that we could be asymptomatic, and, you know, that would be a disaster because of communion and all of that. So our priests have been vaccinated. We talk about that freely. People know that. There's no no doubt that people would know that in the parish. So there's no doubt. And then at times it's encouraged. So there's no question uh, we are moving people along. And, and I think it, it, the voice can get stronger now and will as the Pope and has done. You know, it's kind of the campaign is there. You know, we, we need to do this. So I could see this, our message being more, oh, maybe more uh, uniform and, and, and a sense of solidarity that we do this. Maybe we do choose a Sunday in the next couple of weeks and just say, hit people and remind them that we, you know, we need to do this. And especially now that the so. Pfizer vaccine has received full approval, I know many people have hesitated waiting for that full approval of a vaccine. You know, you could say, well, I don't want to be taking anything that we don't know yet. I've heard reasonable people say that. Well, all of the, I think everything holding people back from the negative reality of people getting sick and some even dying to now the endorsement and giving it the the green light. Yeah, I think we're going to see uh, even increasing numbers. So the more we can be a voice as the Pope has done. Now, the Pope also, though, and this is a frustration that he he deals with, he realizes, too, that it's it's not evenly disseminated through the world, you know, this vaccine. You know, and so along with what he's saying, but he wants the West to be the leaders with this because there are many people around the world, they, too, would have their resistance of not trusting or maybe it's their culture or their religious tradition. But he wants that vaccine to be widely available. And up till now, we've got a long way to go. That's another point of justice, you know, for him and for many people. Bishop Joseph Kopaz is the Bishop of the Catholic Diocese of Jackson. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.